0: Welcome. My name is Riley Landenberger, and I am excited to be introducing you today to a very important episode of the Generosity Freak Show, sitting down with Scott Curran, founder of Beyond Advisors. Before we dive in, Scott is going to share a little about Miss Tommy and Angel the Wonder Pup. Quite the names if you ask me. Then he'll share some of his story, how he ended up doing consulting work. And then we'll get into the nitty gritty of the important work that Beyond Advisors does for nonprofits and some advice to increase charitable giving. And as always, we're going to finish off with some rapid fire questions. So, without further ado, I'm going to turn things over to Brady as he sits down with Scott Curran, founder of Beyond Advisors. Enjoy! <laughs> To the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. I said, Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's another freak show, here we go. Hi, Scott. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, Good morning. Thanks for having me. All right, so we're going to talk about all kinds of different stuff, your unsexy, sexy work, uh, helping scale organizations for social impact. But before we A do that, one of the things I read was you have at least two dogs, and one of them is named Miss Tommy, and another one's Angel the Wonder Pup, which are just unbelievable names. So like, where did those names come from, and what do you actually call them from day to day?
1: Well, so we are, we are a rescue family. Um, we both foster and adopt. And so the, 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 the answer for both of those names is they both came with those names. Oh, Miss um, Tommy came to us from Texas where she was rescued. She was a blind and deaf uh, dog. She, she was not born that way. She became blind and deaf. We adopted mm-hmm. her when she was about 10 years old. The rescue originally thought she was a boy later and so named her Tommy found out later that wasn't the case so they added miss um and she, she sadly is no longer with us but oh. she was a wonderful dog for the three years we had her she she taught me a lot during actually it's tumultuous its time um and so mm-hmm. to to spend your days with a blind and deaf elderly dog uh, and experience life in the world um through her eyes w- and she didn't have any was a was a really cool mindfulness exercise and then mm-hmm. angel the wonder pup also blind and deaf but was born that way and she came to us um through Arkansas, but originally from Oklahoma through the same rescue network. So no um, they both came to us with those names and with their their special needs.
0: And so would you would you say like, well, I guess you couldn't really call to a deaf dog, but would you call Angel the Wonder Pup, or would you just say Angel?
1: Um, well, she has lots of names. I think like every dog owner, you know, you sort of <laughs> evolve. Her most common day-to-day name is actually Boops, which doesn't relate to Angel at all, but does have a circuitous story, I'll tell you another time. But uh,
0: <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's great. I like that that tidbit in your bio, and it's awesome that you do that type of work. Uh, and yeah, thanks. Build that into your family. That's cool. Um, yep. All right. So a little bit more on on your story. You know, your firm focuses really on social impact, and that includes nonprofits, but is an exclusive, the nonprofits. So can you maybe just define the type of work that you do, or what social impact is, and like how did you get into this work?
1: Yeah, sure. And and it's a longer story. I'll try to keep short. But um, the answer to defining social impact is that it's a broad umbrella. And I I teach a law school class to to young uh, aspiring lawyers. And and I use the same definition. Social impact is a broad umbrella that covers all cross-sector social impact work. In, In my view, nonprofits are acting more and more like private sector businesses with earned revenue and business models and innovative financing approaches. And and then for profits are acting more like nonprofits never before. They're they're infusing a social mission and purpose, mm-hmm. if not model, into their work. So I view social impact, um, I think accurately, as the umbrella over all of that work across all sectors. Anybody trying to do good in the world with their organization, nonprofit, philanthropy, private sector, family office hybrids. There's so many hybrids, right? Emerson Collective. <laughs> Um, Omidyar Network, etc. So all social enterprise, impact investing, social finance. Now we're moving to the private sector side of things, and then all the way up to you know the business roundtable last year, saying they were going to make this big move from shareholder primacy to stakeholder primacy. All of that is social impact work, and it's all awesome and exciting. So we exist in that space. But in my own personal background, I went from being a corporate lawyer for five years. I, I took a detour from where I was born and raised in, in Chicago area to Arkansas um, <laughs> for what was supposed to be 18 months and turned into five years. And I wound up in philanthropy. <laughs> um, and, and so I, do, I, took, I wound up staying there for a little over 10 years um, in, in the philanthropy I worked for there. Um, and then wound up in the, in the consulting world, which I also never thought I would ever <laughs> be in because I sort of had a negative view of consultants based on some experience. But here I am, uh, and so, our work is primarily nonprofit focused, primarily with nonprofit organizations of high profile founders, individuals, corporations, sometimes a little bit of celebrity thrown in there. Um, but, but it starts with primarily their family foundations, their nonprofits adjacent to their brands, et cetera. And we sort of provide toolkits that run the gamut from the highest level of organization at the board all the way through to their program teams working on the ground. And that very, very important spot in the middle, those operations teams that span everything from, you know, HR, finance, marketing, legal, operations, development and fundraising, et
0: cetera. Well, that, that was one of the things that stood out when we were just chatting before was, you know, these things like compliance and boards and operations. Like for a lot of people in the fundraising nonprofit world, their heads are starting to just explode and it sounds, yep. you know, so complex, but really what you're trying to do is make the complex simple, and from what we were chatting with, I think you had a really good understanding of the complexity with one of your roles at the Clinton Foundation where you were general counsel. Is that what kind of birthed this idea of like, look, if we can stand up in this environment, maybe we can help any organization. Is that a part of the kind of founding story? You hit the nail on the head, absolutely, 100%.
1: And, and I just want to say simplicity is our through line. And, mm-hmm. and I think the, the, be- the good news message I have for anybody listening is like, wait a minute, did you just say Clinton Foundation? So yes, Clinton Foundation. <laughs> Yes, that one, I say with air quotes, I'm super proud of that work. I, I sort of accidentally wound up there. That's a longer life story and, and career journey story. But I wound up, I started as an intern at the age of 31, as a, as a 50-year corporate lawyer at the Clinton <laughs> Foundation in its earliest days back in 2006. I stayed with them through growth and I finished as general counsel. We took a non-existent legal team. And, and by the time I left in 2016, about a year later than I tried leaving, um, we had a team of 16 in the legal department, and we were supporting this global operating charity at scale that, that had, you know, give or take at any given time, about 14 different initiatives that ran the gamut, right, from global health, climate change, early childhood education, women's, women and girls empowerment, um, childhood obesity, Uh, The Clinton Global Initiative, which was really a set of conferences, but most people mistook the Clinton Global Initiative for the actual foundation. It was just one fourteenth of our program portfolio. But as I was considering my departure, which I knew was going to be probably the biggest platform I would ever leave in my career, I was trying to figure out what I would do next. And my wife asked me a question one night that I usually asked other people when I would do sort of informational interviews as a favor or courtesy for people. I'd say, well, what would you do tomorrow? She said to me, what would you do tomorrow if time and money were no limitation? I said, you know, through this incredible experience of 10 years of moving fast and at scale across all these things and working with dozens of outside law firms and people all over the world and program teams and operations teams that grew and changed and got bigger and morphed, we developed a toolkit. And that toolkit was simple Mm -hmm. because it had to be to be able to work across that big organization. Cross borders, across issue areas. So we had this toolkit that was really big and and really full of some amazing tools, but mm. ultimately it was simple. It was deployable. And we just kept refining it over and over and over for year after year after year. And that's the toolkit that we developed. And I was like, I'd find a way, my, when I answer that question to my wife, i find a way to give it away, mm. right? There, there's not, it's not a lot of rocket science. It's just a lot of experience put into this toolkit. So my good news message to every nonprofit <laughs> out there is that it doesn't matter how big and complex, sophisticated and multifaceted you are or how brand spanking new you might be. and You just started up with a couple of bucks. The good news is the tools are out there and I'm doing my darndest to, to, to keep finding ways to, to give those away. Right now we do it on a fee-for-service basis with our clients and that's what we do at Beyond Advisors. But um, my goal long term, and there's a book in here and I'm working on it, we got the outline going, is, is to give away these core practices that help organizations build for scale, but also for simplicity in ways that are really practical. And my good news message is it's totally possible to do. It's simpler than you think. There's a set of tools that can and will work for you. Um, most of us struggle to find that. We call lawyers we know. Um, we, 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 we scour the internet. We might sign up for a program online or, or you know, online resources and tools. Um, But the good news is they're out there. That's what we developed. And that's what we offer to our clients today. And and I'm trying my darndest to now pivot to a point where we give it away at scale.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's cool. Let's, let's dive in a little bit deeper in terms of like what that actually looks like. So, you know, when you work with different nonprofits, whether they're, you know, celebrity or or brands, like, what are the, the biggest challenges or maybe the common set of challenges or the most common challenge that you see And then like, how can you help nonprofits address those? Or how does the toolkit kind of help nonprofits address those?
1: Yeah, sure. Great question. And thank you for it. So I I, keep it simple. We'll stick with the simplicity message. Two two key frameworks. First is know where you are on the spectrum of growth as a Mm -hmm. nonprofit. Are you a brand new startup? Are you in the growth stage, which is a really big stage? Or are you somewhere else, which is usually a crisis? Are, are we having a funding crisis? Did something happen? Are our programs not working? Did we lose a grant? Did we get a new grant that we're not sure we're right size for? Where are you in the life cycle of your organization? Because that's going to drive a lot of your needs and a lot of, of what you should identify first. I work primarily with, I should say we work primarily with growth stage organizations. So not a startup and not a crisis. Um, But the growth stage, the organizations that have been around long enough to know what we have is working, we're growing and that growth stage might might have a few different primary drivers could be, you know, CEO change or or leadership change could be, we have a slow sleepy founders board that we need to grow. Um, We haven't been doing board meetings, we don't really have an HR toolkit, we don't know what to do, but we know we're getting more people, or we're growing our volunteer core, or we just got a new grant or we're applying for some or we're changing our programs. Those are growth stage organizations. That's where we're nerds for spending time with them because their needs are usually very identifiable. And then there's like crisis, something happened, and, and, and we need to triage it. And again, we don't, we can help all of those. We can help startups, we can help crisis, but we spend our time primarily with growth stage organizations. We're very fortunate to be in that space. But recognize where you are in your growth stage and your life cycle to know what your greatest needs are. Then remember nonprofits are simple, simpler than we think. They all have a board. By law, you got to have a board, right? You didn't start it without a board. So at the very top of your organization, you have a board. In the middle, you have operations. And that could be tiny or it could be huge. And there's certainly a lot in that bucket. So I don't want to give that short strip, but just to finish the model, then you have programs or partnerships. The thing you do, the reason you exist, the thing you are fired up and ready to address every day is your programs and, and or your partnerships that do the work that moves a needle, that changes the world in a positive way. So board, operations, programs, most small organizations start with one person, typically being all three. Mm. And as you grow, that starts to change. Mm. And it's not uncommon, even for growth stage organizations to still have people who are on the board, in the operations and running programs every day. When you get to scale, you start hiring and you start growing. And that tends to be where reorganizations happen, where those HR needs come in, um, where the growth and development, should we hire a development person in-house? Should we hire a consultant? Um, we gotta figure this out and crack this nut. And if we're gonna get the programs bigger, we're gonna need more money. So let's fundraise and develop based on the good news message of our organization, the success we've had to date, and the success we envision for our future. We have toolkits that support all of that, right? We do a ton of board growth and development. We do a ton of HR. We also do a ton of agreement review, right? Those MOUs, those MOAs, whatever you call them. <laughs> you know, Do I need a contractor agreement? Are they an employee or a contractor? Is it a volunteer or an intern? Do they have to sign agreements too? What if we give a stipend? What if it's an unpaid? All of that stuff is where we spend our time with those growth stage organizations. So I, could, I could go on for hours on this stuff and I could go any direction you want me to, but but that's it. Know where you are in the life cycle. Are you more on startup? Are you in growth stage or is something else happening in our organization? And then where are our needs? Are they at the board level or at the operations level or at the program level? And, and and it's okay for the answer to be all of the above.
0: Yeah. What I like about that, again, is, is simplifying it. But very rarely, I think, do people think about operations inclusive of HR and fundraising. You know, like one mm. of the the problems that we've had in nonprofit is we've kind of separated out some of these things like here's fundraising and marketing. Those two things are often separated and that's crazy. And that's separated from operations, you know? And when we look at, especially in our world, digital fundraising, fundraising, marketing operations, like those have to be included in the same type of thing to succeed. And then we also miss out on the HR. So we're, we're developing like an assessment to say like, how ready are you for digital fundraising? And a big part of it is like, how willing are you to test or invest in people And that's just, that's not necessarily unique to digital. It's, it's not, it's a, a common principle for any organization that's trying to grow fundraising is if you don't invest in people, you can't sustain it. So I really like the idea of combining all those into operations, which is maybe unintuitive for us nonprofit nerds who went to grad school and studied and never, you know, had them lumped together like that. But I think that makes, you know, a lot of, a lot of sense and probably simplifies it again.
1: Brady, dropping the knowledge for the audience. If you're taking notes, or if you want to have one big takeaway from this and simplify your view and realize that those three buckets is where your organization is spending all of its time in one form or another. Um, and I don't see where it's going to spend much time outside of that. And that operations piece is huge and integrating it. You're exactly right. That that vision is, is what we have is, is is that all of this is integrated. It's all working together. It's a well-oiled machine. It's often a well um, caffeinated individual that's carrying most of that load. But absolutely, remember, you know, nonprofits aren't automated yet. They haven't developed a bot, right? So we still have people running these things. And those people are usually motivated more by mission um, than they are dollars, right? Most of us are making less money when we're in the nonprofit space. I know that was true for me. I left a <laughs> corporate law firm, went back to school for a hot minute, wound up in philanthropy. And it took me 10 years plus to get back to the same <laughs> level of salary I was uh, when I was a young associate at a law firm, um, we're doing it because of that mission and because we, we, we love these days of great work. But if you look at that as a streamlined and simplified aspect of what the organization and its work is, marketing, fundraising, development, HR, communications, you know, impact measurement, storytelling, all of that sits in that same sphere and that same ecosystem of an organization growing and developing over time.
0: Well, let's, let's, um, let's talk a little bit about giving and generosity. That's obviously our, our focus and the focus of this podcast. And I'd be interested in your, your view and take um, around this kind of question that we ask a lot of different people is, you know, from your perspective, what is it that we can do to, like, grow, improve, and optimize, you know, charitable giving?
1: In a word, storytelling. Hmm. Tell your story. What do you uniquely do? What does your organization uniquely do that is different than anybody else? Because remember, it's a competitive marketplace. Even if you're in the nonprofit world, that's a marketplace. People are competing for dollars, whether those come in through charitable giving, um, through a fundraising campaign, through a development strategy. And I've been through all of the above, right? Fundraising directly for a certain program, you know, restricted donations specifically for one purpose of the organization, unrestricted funding. How do we make that, you know, a story worth? Telling and something for people to get excited about to endowment building. Why give us money we should hang on to for a while? I've helped build endowments with hundreds of millions of dollars in them, right? And I've drafted those those contribution agreements, right? And, 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 <laughs> and I, I know what the stories are that people sit down and tell to say, here's where we're going. And it's vision-led, it's mission-driven. Tell that story, right, mm-hmm. because if you're not your your competition for those dollars is right mm-hmm. um, at any given time in any given year, especially in year end campaigns, we all get those mailers, but throughout the whole year, you're trying to get eyes on what you do and dollars in the door to support it or partners, even if it's not dollars, but those partners are going to bring resources, and those mm-hmm. partners, you're typically going after them because they bring value to your mission, right, and they have to be funded so At the end of the day, there's fuel that goes in the tank that makes the engine work. And I would say the greatest fuel that drives the, you know, kind of the the, the people get to the point where I can't believe that person gave us a grant that easy. I can't believe that person just opened their checkbook and wrote a check to us. It's usually because they heard a great story Mm. of the promise you're going to deliver and what you do with that dollar, right? And so every fundraising campaign online, in person, through social media, through your digital platform. It's going to be about the transformation you make possible when the hero of this part of the story, who is the donor, gives you a dollar or hopefully more than one um, (laughs) to use to go make the world a better place. So, you know, I've seen development consultants come and go by the dozens, if not the hundreds throughout our work, right? Both at the Clinton (laughs) Foundation at scale, working around the world, big donors, right? Biggest foundations, highest profile philanthropists. Um, some of the, the, the world's most generous donors give money. They, too, ask questions about where should we be allocating these resources, mm. right? Everybody's heard recently at the time we're recording this, Mackenzie Bezos made big news for giving away $4 billion mm. b billion of her dollars. <laughs> Is there anybody listening right now, including the two of us, Brady, who don't <laughs> want some amount of those dollars to go to the organizations with which we work or that we serve? And the answer is we all want that because mm. that's the fuel that helps us achieve our missions at scale, right? But McKenzie's using a screen to determine where and how that money goes. And people tend to give where they live and they do what they know, right? So going after your donor profile in that way, finding out who are the people who either live in the communities or care about the communities that, that we serve or the issues we serve um, and who are excited about what we do. And, and that, again, that's a frame that works for any organization right? Any and every organization, no matter what issue you address or or, or problem you seek to solve, tell the story. Now, that's the what, the how of that is a whole different podcast, right? (laughs) How do you tell the story? Well, how do you tell the story in a way that makes this person so excited to give you money? But that's how it works. That's the people who are like, this is easy, right? You know, this, this, oh my gosh, like we got something here and you're and you're living that excitement and that 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 well caffeinated enthusiasm of it's working, and people believe in us. they happen to write a check as a byproduct of that right they don't believe in you because they wrote you a check right they wrote you a check because they believe in you. tell them the story that makes them a believer
0: yeah i I think that's um a really good. You're right. The how is is a whole different. It's at least a podcast, if not two or three. But it's that's especially the road. yeah, exactly. But especially in today's world, on the on the digital side, um, like that's that's more paramount than ever, right? Because someone can read the story. Uh, it used to be the direct response fundraising. We had to like have their address. We send them an ask. They give us the money, and that still exists. And we still have a version of that on the on the email side. And that's absolutely true. But increasingly, we have these different things where like um, a member of ours in our institute has a, a streamer, right? Who's like s- did this streaming fundraising for them and they raised like $32,000 in, in a day because this streamer who cares about them uses their audience and platform. Like these types of fundraising and revenue models and uh, like we couldn't even fathom them 30 years ago. The fact that someone could raise significant capital who doesn't possess that capital on their own on your behalf. And it all comes back to your point around this story. Someone believes passionately in what they know and what they understand, and then has this whole world left at their disposal. And we often just cut people kind of short of like, you know, oh, they gave $50 last time, let's ask them for 75 this time. And, you know, the machinations of the fundraising. And I I do think that's a kind of a limiting factor, or we spend too much time on that and not as much time on the storytelling side of things that you're talking about, which is really interesting.
1: And yes, and how are you breaking through the noise? How are you competing for that attention for that click for somebody to open that email or, you know, watch your Instagram story in whatever form it's coming to them? What is the thing that you know, there's a competition for attention in the digital space, right? We all have plenty of emails in our inbox, we Mm -hmm. all have plenty going on in our scroll, what is the thing that's grabbing the attention of your intended audience and or your donor, right? And you know, what there's, there's all kinds of ways you, we could workshop this for days. Um, right. but, but, but elevate your highest and best message or hook to grab that attention because it's a crowded marketplace. And remember what I said, nonprofits acting more like businesses, businesses acting more like nonprofits and all of them partnering together more than ever before. And we yeah. see that everywhere out across the social impact landscape. It's a competitive messaging environment. And so if you're looking to hook dollars to fund your mission, figure out what's going to grab that attention in that crowded marketplace because that's a competitive marketplace too.
0: Yeah. No, that's another great point. I know like, you know, the Tom's shoes example and all, all those types of mm-hmm. you know, more direct one-to-one models and social impact. Like that's, that's your competition in a good way. That is our competition in a good way in the nonprofit side. And the fact that they exist is even a bit of a, a failure of nonprofits to innovate, which is another different podcast, but we'll leave it there. Uh, a couple of like rapid fire questions before I let you go sure. here, if that's all right. Um, what is one of your favorite podcasts or a few of your favorite podcasts?
1: You know, I'm actually going to, obviously, the, uh, other than yours, I would say, you know, going to that met message of, of good marketing, of hook, of that hero's journey, I've really gotten into Donald Miller lately. He wrote a book called um, Story Brand and another one called Marketing Made Simple. Um, I found a lot of clarity in that. Even having been in the world and done work like this for a long time, you really synthesized it, made it simple, right? We'll, we'll finish mm. with that core theme of simplicity. Yeah. Donald Miller and Story Brand and Marketing Made Simpler, two books. Uh, his podcast obviously talks about his work, um, but those two books. I, I'm a runner, and so I, I've been running with Donald Miller uh, a couple uh, through a couple of books now. Um, those are really great. So big fan of that. Also big fan of Jay Shetty uh and, and a lot of his work um so so those are th- th- those are where I've been spending a little bit of time also um well there there's a handful of others we'll <laughs> we'll make a whole other podcast about social impact pod.
0: yeah there you go <laughs> that's good um what about a tool app or website that you find useful in your day-to-day work slack <laughs> slack
1: yep. all day long i mean there's lots out there there's there's so much good stuff that there's nothing better for team collaboration client service especially living in a virtual you know, world. You know, with with the with this pandemic, we've all learned that it's possible to be virtual. It's possible to thrive in virtual. Um, we were doing that long before. Remember, I worked for an organization that had people all over the world. The sun never set on our work, and so right. online tools were important then. It's true for our clients now. I have clients I've worked with for years who I've actually never met in person, mm-hmm. but we're together every day on Slack. Um, so whatever that your version of that is, I, I use Slack. Our clients love it. Our team loves it. And we find each other there all day, every day. It also gives you a tremendous amount of flexibility in a work-life balance or what I usually call, I, I tend not to believe in the balance. I, I believe more, more so in work-life integration. And Slack is, is per, perhaps the greatest tool I've ever experienced.
0: Yeah, it's so great. It's so funny trying to explain it to people that haven't used Slack. It's like, oh, it's like, you know, Gchat or it's like these other things. You're like, no, it's, it's not. It's different. You just have to use it. But no, Slack yeah. is It's Slack an is inbox great. saver.
1: It'll make your life easier on the inbox alone. But yeah, it's a great tool.
0: Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, what's an organization that either like you serve or support or you love and, and kind of suggest people like, hey, you should check out this organization. They do some cool stuff.
1: Oh, man, it's like uh, picking one of your favorite kids, yep. right? Yep. Um, you know, it, it, I'm going to give an answer. Um, you know, hopefully we, we are hopefully there's people listening to this podcast long after the current time we're in, but we are in, in, in the pandemic right now as we're recording this. Honestly, I'd say it's your local bookstore. It's going to be an unconventional answer, but, <laughs> but go to your local bookstore and find the books that, are, that work for you, that ignite your fire. I don't care if it's on the personal development side, organizational growth and development side, or if it's just where you go to find your, your fantasy. I would just say, you know, in the past five years, Beyond is now five years old. It's been about five years since I left the Clinton Foundation, um, about 20 years into my professional journey since I graduated law school. To me, I have found that books have been the greatest, most steady foundation building guide because you'll let your curiosity guide you to the books that light your fire for whatever reason. Um, and we've all seen the importance of local and the importance of supporting our community. And so I'm going to give it an unconventional answer and say, go to your local bookstore, your independent owned local bookstore and find the books that light your fire, support local and... Um, go follow your curiosity there. It doesn't matter what mine is, you know, I, I can drop some books that I've, I've, I've enjoyed, you know, reading, um, but go there and find that space and support local while you're there. I think the whole world's recalibrating to what matters most. And we all know mm-hmm. social impact matters more than any ever before. We all know that it it's, it's critical to, to be part of community and the community can mean a lot of different things. Um, but my local bookstore, that's, that's the organization I okay. found myself gravitating towards in the past year.
0: I like it. Yeah, off book. But I like it. And speaking of books, uh, you mentioned maybe uh, a bunch of books you could, could reference. But maybe what's one book or two that people listening uh, should check out that, that you've enjoyed over the past you know, five years or so?
1: Sure. Um, any growth stage organization, Run, Don't Walk to Get the Messy Middle by <laughs> Scott Belsky. Um, who's a tech entrepreneur, but who it's such a great book. It's a really thick hard copy book. The version I have, I don't know if it's gone to paperback yet or not. Chapter by chapter, you can pick it up and just go to one. You're going to find some amazing insight. It's all very short and sweet. Um, Almost anything by Tim Ferriss, I find enlightening and interesting. Anything by Adam Grant, who's, you know, Adam Grant, Tim Ferriss, those are some gurus I love. Ray Dalio's Principles, I think, is fantastic as well. And then aforementioned Donald Miller, the story brand book in particular is a great tool that simplifies marketing, which is huge as that storytelling is that, that, for that development piece. Um, so, Messy Middle by Scott Belsky, Principles by Ray Dalio, Story Brand by Donald Miller, anything by Adam Grant, and have fun with some Tim Ferriss stuff.
0: There you go. Some good uh, recommendations there. Well, thank you so much for for taking some time and sharing more about your work and your past and your dogs. Uh, Where can people (laughs) find out more about uh, you and the the very interesting, impactful work that you're doing?
1: Yeah, we keep a low profile publicly, but feel free to visit our website, um, which is a simple one at Beyond Advisors. That's advisors with an E at the end. So B-E-Y-O-N-D-A-D-V-I-S-E-R-S.
0: I got that right.com. That's impressive. That's hard to do. (laughs) Uh, We'll send out the link as well for people to check that out. So Scott, thank you so much. And uh, eagerly anticipating your book and uh, the more public availability of that toolkit. sounds awesome. We're working on it. Thank you, Brady. Really
1: appreciate the opportunity to be with you.
0: Hi again, this is Brady, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to listen to all future episodes or maybe go back and listen to some of our past episodes, you can do so by going to generosityfreakshow.com, or you can search the Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, if you have any questions or a suggested guest, or maybe you yourself would like to come on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast.com at nextafter.com that's podcast at nextafter.com and if you want to find out more about this vision to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world and what we're doing at Next After in terms of research resources and training you can find out more at nextafter.com that's nextafter.com thank you very much for listening and finally I have to say thank you to Nathan Hill our producer and mixologist this would not be possible without him so thank you Nathan and thank you once again for listening